Let's have some fun. Yo, it's Nog Chance, where I, Nogarimi Chan. Joining me today for my second episode is Mr. Thomas Winkley. Bum, bum, bum. In the future. That wasn't a Nog pause? That wasn't just a, hey, it's your turn, Tom? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Like, it was so weird. Bum, Back bum, to the bum. present. Tom, how you doing? I'm good, man. How you doing? How you living? I'm living. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm better off than most uh, in the pandemic season that has now almost been a full year it's hard to believe that it's been like nine or ten months at this point right 10 uh, months of just isolation yeah me i do have a roommate so it hasn't i haven't been completely isolated uh and i do a whole bunch of of commentary as i'm sure you know and now i've started this podcast to even help me talk with more people because it, it wasn't enough uh, and I feel like even that the the two weeks that this podcast gets uploaded is a little long. I was like, because I scheduled you, I think, like, as soon as I finished the last one. And I'm like, I got to wait so long to talk to Tom. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, you can just, like, ping me and say, hey, do you want to hop in a Discord call? Sans podcast. And I will do that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't want to bother you too much. You got a wife. Whatever. I'm just. I do. A, I do. That's one of those. I'm a lonely bachelor. Just chilling. Uh, but one of the one of the things I did want to talk to you about is drinks because I know you have a very full bar, like extremely full. My bar uh, has been, and it wasn't that full before quarantine, but then it just slowly kept filling up as we, you know, experimented. Yeah. So oh, you're like, oh, I want to try making this drink or try this drink just to taste it. Uh, and it's just like, okay, well, I need to buy this thing. And it's just like you only use that one thing and that one drink, and you're like, well, what else do I do with this? Right, exactly. Uh, that's that's me with a bottle of white rum that I bought uh, way long time ago, before quarantine even started. It only has two shots that have been poured out of it, maybe three shots. Uh, just they can't find a use for white rum. Anytime I'm like, yeah. ah, let's go with uh, let's go with some clear liquor. I'm like, and do a shot. I'm like, we're gonna do tequila if we're doing shots. Then if I mix yeah. it, it's just like tequila or gin. It's never white rum. So. so I did find a good rum drink actually yesterday. So it was my friend's birthday and we had a little Zoom call brunch. And so I threw together something. So I just did like, I think it was two shots of rum, of white rum, um, some peach juice and two slices of peach, some orange juice and some Sprite and made like a little breakfast fruit drink. It was pretty good. So if, if you're looking for like a 9 a.m. boozy drink, that's not bad. It's not a bad use of rum. It's not bad. I was thinking about picking up some pineapple juice and making some Mai Tais. Yeah, there you go. I need a different dark rum, though, because the only dark rum that we have is uh, Kraken, which I don't think mm. floats super well <laughs> on, on yeah, that. It's also not my favorite rum. Like, the bottle's cool, but I don't know that it's my favorite flavor of rum that I've had. Yeah, my roommate but likes it, so he fair. pays for it and keeps it around and allows me to drink it if I want it. So I, yeah. uh, I typically let him do what he, he wants with it. Uh, but other than that, I don't do too many mixed drinks. There's always uh, what I call the Nogaremi because I haven't found a name for it, uh, which is gin, apple juice shaken together, uh, and then topped with some ginger ale. Always a, a classic drink. Mm. Pretty sweet. You got to be careful with it. I haven't had it. that. Uh, I talked about it on the D&D show uh, that you ran. I talked about it with somebody there during the intermission. I think the second oh, time I was on. Uh, and they were like, oh, that sounds really good. And I think they messaged me later and was like, oh, that is a really good drink. Thank you so much for letting me know. I'm like, thanks. If you know the real name for it, let me know. 
<laughs> What's crazy is I actually have like we wanted to make like like I don't know if you've ever had uh we do like whiskey and cider together. So you get like a spice cider and just dump some whiskey in it. It gives you like a nice warm kind of holiday drink. Yeah. But we order we do curbside and the grocery store gave us apple juice instead of apple cider. So I actually have like half a gallon of apple juice in my fridge and I've got three bottles of gin. So I think that's <laughs> what I'm gonna be trying. Well yeah, because we bought we bought Roku gin, which is this really good Japanese gin. It's made by Suntory. Mm. Mm. Um and they do a lot of the whiskeys. So we've got that. But then we have like local gin. Um so Utah has a really good distillery. Um I think it's called Beehive Distillery. And so they have, or maybe the gin is Beehive Gin, and it's by a different distillery in Utah. But either, either way, it's a really good, like, florally gin. Um, right. And then we like we like fruity gins. Uh, so whenever Anna visits her parents in Colorado, she'll always bring back, like, a, like a mulberry gin or, like a, like, a raspberry or a peach. Like, various infusions of gins, too. So Those sound pretty good. Usually I just rock it with a, a bottle of Hendrix. Nothing. Mm. Good bottle. Hendrix is a good no- gin. Yeah, nothing, nothing fancy, but definitely a a good gin. I think it's the only gin I've ever had, uh, and I fell in love with it when I first bought it. I bought it at the beginning of quarantine. I bought a bottle of Hendrix, and I was like, I don't know, I don't really like, I don't really like gin. Like I hadn't gotten into it, and then right, you know, I I mix it with a couple of things. I'm like, you know what, this is pretty good. Like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty hooked on this. And then I I found the drink at the Nogaremi. I'm like, all right, we gotta just roll with this. That sounds amazing. Um, the best part is don't measure any part of your drink. Just do, you know, two-ish shots of gin, some amount of alcohol, of, of apple juice, and uh, <laughs> top with however much ginger ale you want, you know? And just go ham. Yeah, because ginger ale should really be like a topper, right? Like add some fizz, add some bubble, add, add a little spice. But, like, I don't think it should be most of the drink. It it really is like sometimes I go real light on the apple juice, so I have to add a lot of ginger ale. Sometimes That's I fair. put a lot of apple juice in. I I get like a two ounces of of ginger ale in there. I'm like, all right, this is it. Just a little this bubble, and that's it. <laughs> it it really is. You can there's a there's a spectrum for it, and uh, I want to stress there there is no actual recipe for this. It's uh, every time I make it. I and my roommates in the room. I'm like, yep, I'm gonna put in some amount of apple juice. No idea how much. Yep. Sometimes it's four shots of gin. Sometimes it's one shot of gin. It's really a a variety how, of drink. The the real question is how stressful was the day preceding the drink, right? Because the higher the stress, the higher the gin amount, and then the rest just kind of offsets from there, right? Like that's uh, that's I, the that's the math. Yeah, I don't don't really know. It's been so long at this point. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, I think it was somewhere in the middle. Uh, it definitely wasn't the strongest that I've made the drink. It definitely wasn't the weakest. So uh, I found like the perfect, it was like the perfect one. It was like, you could make this one and hand it to anybody and they would taste it and been like, I can't tell there's gin in this, but there's a, there's a good amount of gin in there. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's a good drink to have too, right? Because if someone it's, doesn't like a type of alcohol, being able to mask it is really helpful. It's a terrifying thing that I figured out. Apple that too, juice and that gin. Too. Uh, very terrifying to figure out that they cover each other very well. <laughs> and so it's just like, oh man, I don't know how much alcohol's in this. That's terrible. That's so <laughs> you, dangerous. You drink half of it and you're like, where am I? Yeah, those are those nights where like you look over at the bottle as you're going to bed and it's like three quarters empty and you're like, oh fuck. Yeah. I mean, oh crap. 
like so like those are the nights that really hit you right where you look over and you're like tomorrow the morning is gonna be gonna be rough i've had a few of those on the online local oh yeah well the online local is it's something different (laughs) it is different that show you gotta drink on that show and it will mess you up by the end of the night, especially I know that they start uh, you mostly have started making it a, a two shift kind of program. Uh, previously, when it was one shift, when I was on it, uh, you're drinking all night, like four or five hours. Right. You're, right. you're right. drinking uh, top eight and really like the top four really gets a little blurry for me. I'm like, eh, yeah, what's yeah. happening? Yeah. <laughs> you're identifying characters by silhouettes, not as much by names. Yeah, I'm like, who's on which side? I forgot. <laughs> did Joe, wait, did Joe not switch the names? He doesn't switch names. I can't read. Oh, no. Oh, Why no. are we still on small screen? <laughs> I have to say, the two shift thing's been interesting because, like, at first it was working really, really well. But now, like, and it could just be the start of the year, but, like, the commentator well was, like, super robust and everybody wanted on. And then everybody was kind of like, cool, we did it once, we're out. So it's kind of gone back to that full shift type stuff. Um, the difference for me is I now just say I'm going to have two cocktails during the show and it seems to be working a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the way that it goes. <laughs> you tone yourself. I, I know when I was in college and I had early morning classes afterwards, I'm like, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. drink three beers at most. And sometimes I stuck to it. Sometimes I drank way more. Sometimes I had five or six beers. And I was like, okay, that's half my... Dude, this is what you have to realize. I worked a couple of jobs in college. Uh, half of my weekly expenses were beer, just to drink during the, during the online local. <laughs> <laughs> I w- like, I would finish a a six pack in a night. I'm like, that was my beer for the week. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> all right. I guess I don't drink I have the rest of the week. Else. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that that sucks. I would I would go to parties explicitly to steal their leftover liquor that they have. I'm like, I'm going to show up to this party and they're going to give this away because they don't want this anymore. And uh, I'm just going to scurry away with it. And that's how I ended up with another bottle. It was actually still white rum, which I don't really drink. So I was like, how do I use this? And I don't remember how I got rid of that bottle. I drank everything that was in there. I think I just ended up doing shots of it on in tournament. I was like, okay, that sounds right. Uh, don't do shots of white rum. It's rough. Well, it's, rum is really sugary too. Like that's fine. And I sugary like stuff. Yeah, but like, and I could be wrong, but I feel like rum just has a higher sugar content than tequila. But it could also be just that most of the rum drinks that you drink have like blue curacao, Sprite, fruit juice. Like they're mixed with a ton of sugary stuff. So maybe I'm just applying that across the board. Yeah, it it definitely could be that. The, I don't know, sugar in, in a lot of stuff doesn't affect me super a lot. Mm. I've, like, basically OD'd my system on sugar. It doesn't know which way is what. Uh, and just to tell the people at home how crazy that gets, uh, last night I made cookie dough, and I ate mm. half of that cookie dough. And I was like, the only regret that I had was, I just ate a bunch of calories, and that was the only thought in my mind. I was just as tired, just as sleepy. The sugar had no effect on me. I just sat there. I'm like, hmm. that was just a lot of calories that I didn't need to eat. Yep. <laughs> now you're going to just like lay in bed for two days like a snake, just letting it digest? Uh, well, I would, except I got up today, and I had a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You did get up and make a podcast. 
Uh, and for the people at home, this is being recorded on what Sunday the sixteenth, seventeenth. Seventeenth. Yeah. How time flies. Yeah. In the morning. So Damn. there's a there's a bit of a time skip between when this gets uploaded on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, but oh, there was something. Oh, what I'm drinking now. That's the important part. I drink a lot of mm, beer mm. now. That's fair. The Beer's good, beers... and you live in a state where there's good beer access. You say that, but compared to where I was for college, it's so much worse. I used to go to a beer warehouse, a full building mm. filled on every shelf with beer. Now I go to a Bevmo where yeah. one, one row is beer. And I'm just like, your selection is so poor and irritating. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so I feel like I have less choice, but I'm still able to find some cool stuff. Um, I'm currently drinking The Abyss by the uh, Schutz uh, in Bend, Oregon. The Schutz. That sounds really familiar. Show me the. Do you have the can in front of you? I want to see that can. Uh, I do not. It's not a can. It's a bottle because it's one of their okay. reserve series. Uh, so it's like okay. a twenty to twenty-four ounce bottle. Yeah, okay. Uh, and it's like 11%, 10 to 11%. It's, it's, so it's, it's, almost, it's almost like a barley wine at this point. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> I think in terms of, of beer percentage, I think the highest thing I've ever had is 13%. I don't even remember yeah. what beer that was. But it's hard at Ooh. that point, I think, for the beer to get over that. Like, I haven't seen 15. Like, I haven't seen it reach, like, a wine standpoint. We have one here. Um, it's called The Rev. Um, it's seasonal. It's only available. It's from a Red Rock Brewing, and it's only available. I think like springtime, maybe spring into summer. But it's what a seventeen percent. Oh man, I've got to look it up and remember. I think it's a. Is it an ale? Well, you'll you'll figure that out. I can also talk about some of the other stuff that I've been drinking. I just tried uh, this week this year Nevada's twenty twenty one version of the Bigfoot. Which is a uh, a barley style ale. I don't remember okay. exactly what was on it, but it was pretty light and drinkable, despite it being, I think, again like nine percent. A lot of these craft beers that I drink are now getting really up there in percentage. Yep, and it's hard to remember each one specifically, but it's one of the things where like, I'll I'll do a little uh, tasting session with my uh, roommate because he doesn't drink too many beers, so I've really especially during quarantine, I've tried to really nail down like, okay, we're going to get you into beer. So I'm just going to have you try all of these beers. Um, but it's here in Nevada. It had some, some pretty high bitterness. So that was to be expected, but he didn't seem to mind that much, which I think is really just a testament to how much I have moved him along, which is pretty terrific. But uh, it, it was a, a pretty big shock when he's like, he drank uh, like a sip or two of it. And he's like, what, what percentage is this? And I looked at the bottle. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> uh, it's a a worrisome percent for beer. <laughs> it's like you have to like that's that's more or less what I categorize things where it's just like oh I have to be worried about this or oh okay this is okay it's like seven or eight percent is like where I draw the line of like oh this is okay and then like above that I'm like that's not okay. <laughs> yeah, that's scary. and actually and actually looking at it it's not so I just I looked up the beer on their site. And it was pitched as super super high alcohol content. It's a Belgian triple. Oh um, yeah, but it's only definitely. it's only it's it's only ten point three percent though. So hmm. I was under the impression it was like seventeen. But I mean, ten point three is still good for a beer. But 
yeah, if, if they do different batches per year, especially like you said, it was seasonal, so they might, you know, change the recipe every year. It could definitely change <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the alcohol in it. So there's a bunch of that. I drink another. Oh, I know, I know what other beer I drink. I've been drinking a lot of Chimay. Uh, yeah, you do love Chimay. I do love Chimay, and thankfully the BevMo by me gets to import it all the time. Uh, real funny, the first time that I went there, the couple bottles of Chimay that were on the shelf still were 2018 reserves. Uh, wow. So like on, the, on the cork, it says 2018 and everything like that. So the beer was sitting there for a while. I might be one of the only people that goes in there and buys Chimay consistently. <laughs> um, I took a couple of bottles and like they were at one point, they were completely out of Chimay white because I I apparently took in the, the last two bottles that I think were both 2018 reserve and they had nothing else that they're like, oh, shit, we, we, have, to, we have to buy Chimay white. This dude is the only one that drinks. <laughs> this is the uh, one person. Uh, so I definitely go through and make sure that I, I grab a bottle of that every once in a while. This past time, though, I bought – I never noticed if they had it before or not. They had a little package that was uh, 12-ounce bottles of Chimay white, red, and blue. They actually had Chimay gold in there as well, which you don't see Ooh. that often. Uh, Chimay gold, uh, it's a weird beer when you talk about the Chimay lineup and you're like, oh, yeah, Chimay gold. You doesn't get the big bottle import into the USA like you would imagine because uh, all Chimay bottles I think are maybe twenty eight ounce, thirty ounce bottles, um, almost like a wine. Uh, and so it was pretty weird because they don't import the gold ever. I don't know if Chimay hmm. just doesn't sell it. If the person that imports it into the U.S. doesn't import gold at all and then doesn't distribute gold, therefore. Uh, but they had this little four pack of 12 ounce bottles and it came with a Chimay glass, uh, a Chimay branded glass. And so I now have a official Chimay glass and it's fantastic. I should, I should, I have three more. I'm, I'm going to give you when I see you next. We had a friend give us some, so I've got, it's the same one you showed the picture of, right? With the, the rim and it says Chimay across it. And it's kind of got the goblet vibe. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a couple that, of those. That'll, we'll that'll be more. dope. Have you actually tried Chimay yet? Because I know one of the big no. things was you're going to come back to uh, where I am and I was going to take you through the stroll of all the Chimays. Yeah, we actually have not. And I was I was actually, as we were talking about it, just looking it up on our alcohol. So Utah is a state-controlled place, right? So yeah. anything that's above 5%, you have to buy out of a state-run liquor store. Mm -hmm. um, so if the liquor store doesn't have it, the only way to get it in is to special order it, but you have to order a case. Um, case you don't want to commit to a case, case of Chimay well I don't mind committing to a case of Chimay if there are other people that will commit with me right because a whole case of beer like that's well maybe if it's good I'll drink the whole thing but I'm typing in Chimay in the item name right now for their inventory search and it is not even listed so we oh. are not importing Chimay into Utah it looks like that's rough so yeah. our only options here since I don't know how much longer quarantine is going to last I can I can't drive to you. It's a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> Only 13 uh, or so. <laughs> yeah, I can do it in one day. Don't tempt me. Uh, you will have to provide me a place to sleep for, for at least eight can hours. Can do. Can do. Uh, can do. But I can I can come with two bottles of, of each kind that uh, my place sells. Again, no should make gold, which is real unfortunate. I can keep buying the four packs with the beer glass and just buy gold for you to taste. <laughs> It just uh, have like a whole have a whole cupboard full of Chimay glasses and throw the rest away. Yeah, uh, the the main thing with Chimay Gold, and 
I've only had it once or twice besides this because again, it just doesn't get imported to America like ever, right. and it sucks. It's their lowest percentage at like five point two or four point eight, something like that. It's within two percent of five, like two percent of like the average baseline, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of Chimay's are higher alcohol percentage, so it's like seven to nine percent. Like it goes between like red, blue, or red, white, and blue. I think are the classic American colors mm. and that's you know that's going up in alcohol percentage so seven eight and nine percent is, is the way that that's gonna go uh, I really like Chimay white and I think Chimay gold is Chimay white but less alcohol content less bitter uh, just a little bit and it actually tastes really sweet and really good uh, has a really good a little bit of a multi taste but not super a lot it almost just feels unnaturally sweet a little bit for a beer but it was really good. It went down real easy, uh, and I enjoyed it a whole bunch. Uh, but, man, we've talked a long time about alcohol. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to talk about. There's there, That's there kind of the cool so thing, right, is there's so much depth to, like, taste and what you like. And that's that's one of the, the, take, the wins from COVID isolation, right, is I've had a ton of time to explore local breweries, local distilleries, all kinds of weird drinks, see what's new out there. So that that's actually been kind of fun. But we don't have to talk about booze anymore. We can talk about other stuff if yeah, you like. Yeah, we, we absolutely can. Uh, running through the booze talk pretty hard. We do have a, a little bit in common. I don't think the languages are the same, but you do some programming and some Unity stuff, uh, which yeah. is... Uh, I'll see pretty, sharp. Yeah. pretty cool. I do a lot of Python development for like a Discord bot and some other, all the other random programs that I'll, I make and, and use kind of sporadically are all. Yeah, made yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's your opinion on, on Python as a language? Have you coded in Python before? I have actually. Um, so most of my Python stuff lately has been for work. Um, and it's been, I've actually, it's not really, it's not like Python core. It's more R. Uh, so more data analytics side of things, right? Um, I don't mind it. So the thing about R that kind of stresses me out or frustrates me is that, like, I think about things like an object-oriented programmer, right? I think about things like, okay, if I want to make, like, like okay, I want to get this yeah. data set and I want to clean it, right? So my first instinct is like, okay, cool. I need to store this data set in a variable and an array, and then I'll parse through the array and do the things. And then once I do that, I'll just export my results. Yeah. But in R, it's not like that. R is literally like, yo, clean this dot file, and it just does it. Um, so it's not, R is, R to me, and I'm not an R expert, but the stuff I've done with it, it's more of like a package of tools that you can just like break out on the file instead of like writing your own classes and things like that. So I haven't done as much Python core. I would like to. I actually really want to write a Discord bot. I think that would be super fun. Um, but I just haven't put time aside. So there's a, a terrific, uh, kind of bot already made. If you want to take a look at it and, and take pieces of it, uh, at, you know, uh, lizard man 301 slash Liz dash bot dash RSF on GitHub. Okay. Okay. I was going to ask if it was on GitHub somewhere so I could take a look at it. Absolutely. We just started opening issues for it so that we can track when we're fixing stuff or do feature requests instead of just like. We have a we honestly we have a Discord chat all set up that we all talk in and they're like okay we we need to fix this thing and it's just like okay it's fixed and it's just like okay we need That's a awesome. better change log. <laughs> yeah, you do. Um, 
I think that's really cool. I like the idea of Discord bots too. So like we have a gent in our in our Utah Discord that's actually writing a tournament bot for us. Um that's oh, gonna allow yeah, us to create that. Yeah, and he's doing it all in uh React and Node. Um which is super yeah. interesting. Um I think that integrates better with what Discord actually is. But again, it's just mm. a, a bot. All they have to do is is listen Change it. and then and then process whatever is said in chat. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as long as you can process text inputs and listen, right, you're good. So, so that's it's, actually a question I'd want to ask. Does your bot listen to? So does it read every line typed in the typed in Discord then to parse out? And then you're basically saying if line parsed is matches a command, then do a thing. So that's basically it. In order to lessen the load a little bit, there's a check that uh, checks if the line starts with a prefix and if it starts with the prefix then we'll go and run through all the commands and this is because we have a dynamic uh dynamic prefix that you can set so like you can have exclamation right. point or question mark or, or hashtag whatever, or whatever character you want uh hashtag and at is a little difficult because those are discord discord yep. will uh will take hold of those immediately because you can type a channel or a username yeah uh so i usually would suggest not using those it, it'll work uh but every time that you type yeah, a yeah. command it'll try to autocorrect to somebody's name uh, have fun <laughs> that's yeah yeah, the, yeah, yeah yeah that's basically the support for it <laughs> have fun it's yeah we made it with exclamation point in mind uh i only well that's when I, pretty I standard on, yeah so lizardman started the project uh lizardman 301 at lizardman 301 on twitter uh he started the project he started with just having Every time that you typed a command, there was a long if-else statement of, like, Oof. if it was yep. this command, run this thing. Yep. yep. I got into it. I was like, okay. Like, I got into it. I added some commands because he needed some more functionality. And I'm like, okay. We got that working. Well, rather, I think I switched him to a database because previously all of LizardBot would use the same stuff. And so nothing was was segmented. So if one tournament was running, you, like you couldn't run two tournaments with Lizardbot at the same time because it would use right. the same variables and not know what to do. It would basically oh, like so it would some, start writing each other over and yeah. So if, so if one tournament, if one Discord called round two, but the other one was still on round one, it would override it. And then if somebody did like the status command or something like that, it would pop up and be like, oh, right. it's round two now, and the to and and that point is like uh it's not round two <laughs> and uh it was very fun and i solved that problem for them by just telling them to make a database and i integrated a, a database with them so that they can keep track of different servers at different times and it works out really good use my uh use pi mysql for that uh, just because mm. that's the the library i've ever always used um and it works with MariaDB because MariaDB is built on sql and it's great yep yep or mysql um the that was the first big change i implemented the second one was like okay we fixed that that was the immediate issue we had to go through and fix uh but this is horrendous this is so hard sure. to navigate it's one large file with one large function this is terrible yeah it needs to be it needs to be more modular for sure right like you should always try to less is more generally yeah and so i i went through first off because none of it was common commented so i'm like okay well we're gonna do that we're gonna break it apart i went and did some research on some other discord bots i found a bot called yaksha you can also find their github i think it's yaksha bot 
I don't know who writes it or who it's under. Uh, but you can go find their bot. I used a lot of stuff from them. They have a very nice way of having Python have an, a dictionary of classes that are associated with... It basically uses a register function to register the function. Uh, there's a lot to it. Uh, so it sounds I, like it almost sounds like an event handler or a. I'm trying to think of the yeah, term that we yeah, use in yeah, C sharp. Yeah, a, little, um, a, a little bit like that, but basically, at the beginning, I have there's an entire file called called commands. Every, before every function in there, there's uh, an at register, and it will register what command, what command that function is related to, and so yep. uh, once they're all registered, it'll actually register like okay, this command name goes with this function and there'll be an array of that so that when we're parsing through messages we can be like okay we found one of the allowed commands we're going to feed it into this function this function will then call this because the array will tell it where to find that function yep yeah it works really well uh and it allows things to be much more readable there are a few large ones that still need to get broken up um that i just haven't figured out how to do it how to refactor it um but i'm not a classically trained programmer in any sort of the way I just kind of throw stuff together and I'm like, all right, it works. Uh, And then I'll look at it. I'll I'll look at it a month later and be like, that looks terrible. Let's fix that. And then I'll like fix it a little bit. And then I'm like, okay, that's readable enough that somebody better than me could come in, understand it and probably want to fix it themselves. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of the way that a lot of coding works. Right. When I was learning a lot of unity dev in my earlier days, uh, the guy I was working with always said, like, you'd code like an asshole, right? Like, just code to solve the problem and then go back and refactor it into more eloquent stuff. Because first of all, yeah. like, that's how I've learned a ton of my programming chops is like, okay, I need this specific challenge to be met. So I go and I meet it. And then like a week later, I go back and look at the code. And I'm like, man, this is bad. Like, how can I? And then you discover, oh, there's a class that handles this that's more eloquent. Or I can break this chunk out. or this, And you start getting more... Your code starts to become cleaner. You solve problems faster. Like that's how you learn. So yeah, and it's definitely one of the things where like you look back on it like a week a week later and you're like, well, how was I this bad? Like you feel like in that week like you've got yeah, <laughs> absolutely you have because you've had time to like mentally digest the problem, right? Like you actually. So I stream a lot of my coding, um, mainly because I'm trying to for so I have to recertify for my Unity expert programmer um, in February. And uh, where, uh, where so, can you find your stream? Oh, uh, twitch.tv slash Thomas Winkley. Uh, oh, it's funny because, like, as much as I do fighting game stuff, like, my stream is not as much fighting game oriented as it probably could be. It's really just, like, a place for me to unwind and talk to friends. And honestly, right now, it's a lot of Unity coding. Um, but, I mean, you can, like, last Thursday, you can watch me go through that in real time. It was like I had to spawn a bunch of asteroids, so I wrote the class to do that, got everything set up. And then realize, like, I have to initialize velocity on these asteroids. And because of the speed of multi-core programming, I was getting null errors because they were instantiating and trying to get the uh, the velocity set basically simultaneously, which doesn't work. So yeah. you kind of need one to happen first, and then it can edit the value. Yeah. And, and so really, it's going to be like, all right, cool. So I'm actually like, as I was in the shower yesterday, it was like, okay, this is actually how I have to solve this problem because there's a whole chain of things that need to happen. And so that's what I'm going to do Monday or probably tomorrow because tomorrow's a holiday for me. I'm probably just going to code. Yeah. That's honestly the weirdest part of programming is you'll be sitting yep. there doing something completely unrelated. And you're like, that's it. 
and that's how I did yep. it. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, I was so on that same vein. I was working on what problem was it for the coding? Oh, it was just getting like a basically. It's a so we're basically for this thing to practice. We're making an asteroids clone. Is what it is. It's a clone of yeah. asteroids. Um, and it's I, all like all the. It's I do fun. love some asteroids. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I yeah. I played the the hell out of that in high school. Yep. I would just sit there and play Asteroids anytime we were in it's a computer a, lab. It's a good game. And if you look at it from a game development perspective, it surfaces a lot of really interesting problems to solve. So you've got screen wrapping. You've got parent-child relationships within objects. You've got, obviously, collisions and detonations. You've got point calculation. You have UI, UX. You have level progression. Like Everything you need, Like Asteroids pretty much encompasses a ton of program programming challenges. So that's what we're making for this. Um, and I was having trouble. So one of the things is like, you want the ship to tilt as you move it with velocity. Right. Yeah. And so I was kind of working on like, how do I make the ship tilt on this axis? And I was like, man, it's, it's gotta be easier than this. And I was really overcomplicating it. I was like, well, I got to go to the gym. So I'm gonna put my shoes on and go work out when I come back. And literally as I was tying my shoes, the answer hit me. Yeah. And like, I walked upstairs, wrote the one line of code, and then went to the gym. Like, it's just how coding is, you know? Now, that is always a struggle because a lot of times the solution will come as you're falling asleep and you're like, that's it. And the struggle is, do I get up and do this or do, do I go yeah. to sleep and risk forgetting it? <laughs> you got to keep that notepad by your bed, right? Roll over and write it down or something. I've definitely um, done that. I've definitely had yeah. – this was when I was in college. I had an assignment that I was working on. I'm like, oh, I just can't figure this out. I typed all day. There's this error that I'm getting. I'm like, whatever. It's 1 o'clock. I got to sleep. I got classes in like six hours. Yep. And I would lay down. I would be like, I figured it out. Son of a gun. And I figured it yep. out. Like within five minutes of me laying down, yep. I'm like, do I get up and do this now? I'm like, but I should. <laughs> you should or you just write a note right like because like for me being a married dude like i can't like i can't jump out of bed at one o'clock in the morning run up to my office a i might scare the shit out of my wife if i jump out of bed at one o'clock in the morning uh b like if i wake her up then she's got to work the next day then i messed up her sleep and there's a whole thing there but i think you can apply that to like everything like fighting games yeah like think about situations you're trying to deal with as a fighting game competitor or even as a commentator like i as a commentator i've had this happen i'm like i just don't know how i would talk through that scenario or what that player was thinking and then, like, just like programming, a day later, two days later, I'll be eating chips or in the shower or throwing a rope for my dog. And my brain will be like, they did it because of this and that made this happen. And that because your your subconscious is like your brain's a computer, right? It's chewing on shit in the background. It's processing. Yeah. Um, so that's always a nice thing to remember. If anything, if you're getting frustrated, you're getting angry, you're getting over overwhelmed. It's not, not a bad idea. Take a walk. Yeah. yeah. Take a walk. Yeah. You can overwork your brain. It can get stressed out, yep. and it's not going to yep. function as well. You're like It's like a computer overheating. Like It's just going to reach a certain yeah. point, and it's just not going to work anymore uh, if we're going to keep using that computer metaphor. Although, yep. to go to go off of that, I have been called a robot several times, uh, especially during college. Uh, when, I, when I was a freshman in college, they all of my floor mates – I had to live in the dorm the first year. Uh, all of my floor mates were like, yeah, you're really just like – a robot like we know what you're going to do and say in every situation because it's all mapped out i'm like of course it's mapped out what are you guys doing <laughs> <laughs> you guys are having conversation based on how you feel what is this what the hell feelings get out of here it was, it was weird uh but it did really help me learn about myself and how to like be a more interesting human and that's sure very important i started i started college 
and I was probably one of the most introverted people you could imagine. And now I do commentary and talk to all sorts of people constantly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you do. And like, and like I've hung out with you in person multiple times, right? Like you're you're fun to hang out with. You're a good dude to have around. So yeah, let's. It was a little bit different before college. Let's just leave it. That's at fair. That. That's fair. <laughs> I will say, like, you're definitely like is is left brained, right? Like you're incredibly left brained. Like that's just a. Because right no brain is creative, right? No, no, so, no idea. So, uh, so left brain is very like methodical, process oriented, technical, and right brain is more the creative side. Um, I will say I, I don't have a lot of creativity. <laughs> and I'm, I'm similar. I'm like a little bit more left than right, but I would argue that you're a pretty left brained individual. Yeah, it, it definitely does most of the work. I follow through situations pretty logical. You, you've heard me commentate. It's a lot of play-by-play and then an analysis. So there's not yep. like yep. super a lot of like popping off or color commentary where I'm going all over the place. I'm I'm keeping it pretty pretty straightforward and clean, uh, as entertaining as I can be. So, but and, that's that's why we work as a team. Though. That's why Tom Remy is so powerful. Because hey. I am just a giant bearded bundle of energy. So. Somebody has to be, and I. This is something that I've worked on over, I, I guess, two years now. That's wild. Uh, is getting hype and still providing that analysis. So, like, this is something that Saint Cole is always telling me. It's like, dude, the way that you get hype and are still analyze, like analyzing the situation mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like still talking about it in such a deep manner is super crazy. Like, you integrate it super well. Where like. People mm-hmm. can tell you're excited about what's happening on screen, and you just want to like share all of this information that I have inside. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. I have all this information about what's happened in the situation, and it's so cool. And I just want to tell yeah. people how cool it is. <laughs> yep, and I think that's uh, that's something I've been working on in my commentary. Is I generally <clears throat> lean more towards hype than um, than an analytical, and I'm trying to get on more on the analytical side, right? And I think. But I think it's really interesting because when I think about like commentators that found a style, um, and actually Cola was talking about this on one of his streams that I was in, and he was talking about how like you and I have very defined styles of commentary, and he knows it's us on the mic. That's what he said, <laughs> and I and just like that's I said the same thing you said. I said, "Do we?" Because like I had never considered my style. Like it's not something I had ever thought about. Like oh, stylistically, I want to be this. It's just kind of how it came, right? Like, and I feel like the only reason my style is what it is is because I started commentating while drinking on the online local yeah. and kind of found my and kind of found my groove, right? Like, I found this like rhythm that I can sit in, and oh. it just I guess happened to be unique. You just reminded me of the early stuff that I did with. RSM. Oh man, me too. Me oh too. my goodness, oh, it was so bad because a I hadn't drank too much with a mic in front of me before. <sighs> Uh, usually right. when I drink, I'm a, I'm a quieter individual. I'm not. Yep. It's hard yep. to get me to talk most of the time. Uh, so a, I had a microphone in front of me while drinking. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. B, I don't <laughs> commentate. I hadn't commentated that much at that point. So yeah, like, yeah. All I can talk about is what I know as a player. Um, and so it's very terrifying. And the alcohol helps with that, but part of it is also still terrifying because well, now there's alcohol it, it, in you. <laughs> It's also terrifying, too, because, like, and I don't know if this is as applicable to you, but, like, I spent so much time watching streams, right? Like, I mean, I came up in the Street Fighter 4 era, right? So I watched so many tournaments, so many streams. 
And there was so much commentary from viewers on, oh, I hate this commentator. I hate this commentator. This commentator is dumb for these reasons. Like, like yeah. something that still makes me mad to this day is that people don't like Ski Sonic. Like Dude, people to this day, people will still talk about uh, Ski Sonic being a bad commentator. I'm like, he, I love Ski. I loved him. He's definitely like compared to the other people that you would get at the time, where it's just like, oh, it's not, especially in that era where it's like, oh, it's not David. It's not. Uh, James. It's not David, it's not James, and it's not like Z or Mike Ross or somebody. It's just like people yeah. would be like, who's this commentator? They suck. Get out of here. Uh, and yeah. Ski took a lot of that really hard, and it's real unfortunate for him because he had, you yeah. know, he's a really good commentator. He was really knowledgeable about Street Fighter 4. Super so. knowledgeable. And like, he had really good, like, vocal tonations and flexions. Like, he was also like, when, if I could not be watching and I could tell you exactly if it was Ski on the mic, right? And and like and I know a lot of people hated Z Sonic too, but I liked him because he was like the ultimate reference king. Like a lot of the riffing that I try to do is because Z Sonic riffed so well. His riffs were not Z Sonic, sorry, Zeep. His uh, his riffs were godlike. Um, yeah. Anyway, so but I had a lot of like tension and worry about that, right? Because I was like, man, like what if I'm doing the work, I'm commentating, and people just decide they hate me? Or I say something wrong and people like come at me. So I was actually afraid, like really afraid to say wrong shit. Um, and I have to say, like, because of good communities, like even like the online local and even like within Utah, right? If I'm like, oh, man, I'm pretty sure that was minus. And then someone's like, oh, no, actually, that was plus. It became very easy to be like, oh, damn, it is plus. Look at that. Well, there you go. And I like, just kind of roll with it, which I thought yeah. that's fun. That's most of it. Anyway, uh, part of it is once you especially when you're like somebody like St. Cole who's actually broken through and stuff like that. You don't get as much interaction with Twitch chat. They get to be a lot more yeah. trouble, especially when you're running with uh, tens of thousands CPT. of viewers and that yeah. kind of stuff. And it's just like, all right. right. So, you know, maybe <clears throat> not look at the chat constantly while, <laughs> while commenting. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I, I couldn't imagine seeing the chat during like a bigger event like that, right? Like, I think like three to 500 viewers, chat is manageable. After that, you just got to kind of wing it. Yeah, uh, pretty much. I go back and forth. I'll look at chat sometimes almost religiously, especially if I'm commentating a, a local that I don't know as much. They can really help provide a lot of information about some stuff, especially yeah. if there's characters I'm not used to seeing as much. They can be like, okay, no, like, yeah, they can correct me. And that's great knowledge for me. I get to learn and, and see a whole lot of new people, which I love, uh, and then be just be better, especially for my kind of style of commentary where I'm, like, heavy with, like, knowing everything that's going on um, right which makes me terrified because i'm primarily a street fighter 5 commentator i don't really commentate anything else and for a while back when i was in college i would commentate my my club i made an entire club RTFGC. uh the the thing that was very apparent to me as more and more people started showing up and apparently were more willing to just tell me that i was commentating stuff wrong they're like, oh, yeah, in this situation, this thing is happening, and that means this option isn't viable. And it was some one of the things where I was like, oh, I just never learned that. Thanks for telling me, because otherwise I would never know. Uh, and this was really big in Undernight. I would commentate Undernight, but I don't watch Undernight or learn yeah. anything about Undernight. I play Undernight, or at least Undernight ST was the was the last one that I, yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, but... It was one of the things where it was the game that I played for fun. So I didn't look up anything about it. I didn't do anything else about it. I just played it, and I commentated based on that. I commentated based on my level of knowledge that I had with the game, which wasn't a lot. Right. Um, 
but moving forward, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the same wanna... way with Mortal Kombat. So, yeah, and and it's very, I'm pigeonholed way more than I feel like any other commentary really is at this point. I completely just know Street Fighter Five. I play some other fighting games here and there, but never to the depth of knowledge that I have in Street Fighter Five. No other fighting game has captured me and has kept my attention for five years. So yeah, yeah, that's impressive. You know, what am I supposed to do? Like, I can't be disingenuous to to what I enjoy and stuff like that, which I think is always a yep. big thing that Sage Jim's talking about. I was like, yeah, if I like the game and enjoy commentating it, I'll I'll do those things. Uh, otherwise, I'm not going to. Well, it, it comes through in your pre- in your in your performance too, right? And like commentary is a performance to a degree, and that emotion, that energy, that feeling, right? Like the reason why people can see you getting hype, even if you're giving technical commentary, is because you are getting excited because the level of the interaction is there for you. And if you don't have that, or if a really sick interact, like nothing lands worse in commentary than if a really sick interaction happens and you're just like, dang, that was a cool interaction, right? Like sometimes, I mean, sometimes you can make it really hype, but like being able to explain why that was so cool gives it another layer of excitement for the viewer, I think. No other character has given me as much problems as Zangief. Every time I commentate mm-hmm. a Zangief, a Zangief player in chat will be like, oh, that was a sick micro walk. And I'm like, I didn't see a micro walk at all. <laughs> yeah, yep. I didn't what, see like, that. what am I missing in this Zangief brain? Like, yep. there's something that's not there. Uh, and then you watch Mike Too Shrunk and you're just like, oh, you know, he's just doing all. Like, I've had talks with Mike about this as well. Mike will just, Mike Too Shrunk, phenomenal Zangief player. And yep. the thing he does best is just waiting like his reaction speed is kind of ridiculous and he it's says that stupid. it's getting yeah he says that it's getting worse because uh you know he's getting older and stuff like that and he's been playing a lot of valorant and i'm sure it can really matter in that game where it's just like if you don't make your shot at the right time then you're dead but like yep the ways that i've seen him wait to jump air spd his opponent is a little ridiculous so yep uh you know, he he definitely keeps it on 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 fire, and he's definitely doing everything he can to, to be the best version of him uh, when he's playing Street Fighter. Now, granted, he came back for like a week and a half, and then he left again. And I'm like, ah, holidays. But in that week and a half, didn't he win like three tournaments? Like, I swear to God, that dude came through, <laughs> no, won a so bunch of tournaments, through, and was like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> he came through. I started on a Saturday. He started playing in a, a Midwest tournament. He got second place for that. Uh, like... Again, so no, no, no. So he won the last chance qualifier oh. and then got second place in the. That's finals. right. That's right. That's right. So For uh, the one that overhaul does, right? Yeah, the um, yeah. closing the distance or closing that's distance. The uh, yeah. The so he did win a tournament. He did unfortunately lose one right after that, but it was a long day for him. Uh, and then on Thursday the following week, he played in two tournaments and won both of them. Yeah. And it was just a little ridiculous. It's super uh, ridiculous to come back and play at that level, especially he won Digital Havoc, which means he had to get over Flux Waves. He had to get over Space poison. Boy. He beat Flux with Waves a, poison, poison in the Zangief matchup. matchup. Like, Pe- that's sick. People, listen, I know most of this, most of my audience plays Street Fighter V because that's all who I follow or who follows me on Right, Twitter. right, right, but right, like, right. You have to realize Zangief Poison is, I think, the second worst matchup for Zangief. Like, there's Dalsum and then there's Poison. Monot. Yeah, and then Minot's like third after G, that. Like, G's a little bit bad. Minot's bad. There's, like, other bad characters. But I feel like the way that I've seen Zangief lose to Poisons 
It's brutal. It's rough, bro. The only character I've seen control more of that space is Dalsum. And uh, Poison is significantly easier, has higher access to larger damage, and can get real crazy on stuff. It's a little ridiculous. Has more options to be in an airborne state than Dalsum. There's a lot of stuff that Poison gets to do that makes that matchup difficult. Uh but yeah, you know, it was it was great to see Mike for a little bit. I hope he comes back. I'll probably ping him here in a little bit and be like, "Hey, gonna enter some tournaments again?" Yeah, like, I miss I miss seeing Mike. Even just once a month, like that's enough. <laughs> like, we'll take anything. We just need more hype. Yeah, we yeah, just need we just, more Mike too strong. We play. can't see you leave uh, for eight months, okay? <laughs> watch uh, him come back as like the world's best Dan player. I'm actually oh, really excited for Dan next month. I that's an, an, an entire. Yeah big thing where capcom cup officially got canceled yeah uh so so pretty rough i don't know what they're going to do with all of the prize money and everything that they have they did say that they're going to do some exhibition stuff i think so maybe they'll have right. like the the players in each region play against each other that one uh with how worldwide every qualifier was it's difficult right. to kind of be like oh hey all of you play each other in an online final now. That's not what they said. They said that they're going to do something, just not the same uh, Capcom yeah. Cup finals. And the I think the largest thing that everybody that everybody that qualified is concerned about is that prize money. Because there was, I think, like, as every year, there's, like, $250,000 at least up for line. And that's a lot, a lot yeah. of money. I think it's, isn't it half a million this year? I thought 250000 was just Did first it prize. bump up? Yeah, because right? yeah, I think it, might, it, was... it might be even more. Like, but there's at least that much. I think there's always at least yeah. that much, and then whatever sales they make on the CPT bundle, yeah, and, and stuff like that gets added to it. But like, there's always a bunch of money, like enough money to like sustain somebody for a couple of years, kind of money. Uh, and it, yeah. it's definitely one of those things where it's just like, what are you doing with that money now? <laughs> right. I mean, they've got to uh, do something with it. I think personally, I know it's not the best thing. But I think splitting it among the the qualifiers might be the best option. Just being like, here you go, COVID sucks, or doing something. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, it, it's tough to say what they're going to do with it. They could carry it over all into next year and make next year a big hurrah. Yeah, uh, that dope. would be a lot, a lot of money, uh, especially for it, it becomes an even stranger thing at that point. Just because, like, how do you respect the people that have qualified already that want right. that money? Um. You're you're in a rough place, and it becomes a thing like do, does Idom still get to auto qualify and that kind of stuff? It's a it's a difficult place mm-hmm. to be in. Uh, but to kind of bring it back around to maybe a little bit more generic prog- uh, not programming but commentating the yeah, yeah. Uh, the the major thing you know with Saint Cola doing all of his streams and actually getting to kind of voice his opinions on different commentators and that kind of stuff. It's really interesting how much he loves me and you uh it really warms my heart i haven't heard anybody talk to me or talk about me as emphatically as saint cola does and it's honestly a heartwarming it's a really heartwarming experience because a lot of people like oh that commentator sounded good or most times they just don't say mean things and it's just like i i guess things are going good (laughs) which in twitch chat that's a win right like 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 not mean things is an endorsement, which is a whole other can of worms we could open up about Twitch chat. But like, I agree with you. Like, I feel the same way. Like, and it doesn't feel, 
it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel like a lie, right? It's it's which also makes me uncomfortable because I'm not good at accepting praise. But it's really it's really cool and it's really heartwarming. So I hope if Cole is listening, I hope you know, man, like you're one of my he's actually one of my favorite commentators. And like he did something really cool for us last year that he may or may not realize, but he showed that like that weird glass ceiling between commentators and cool events and cool work is not as thick as we thought it was. Um, oh, and I, if you put in the work, you can make, you can make stuff happen. Right. Like, so I thought that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely had a lot of people tell me like, Hey, you know, you reach out to us. We would love to have, you just don't have a reel. And that's been the thing that yep. he's been hammering me about. Uh, a bunch of people have been hammering me about like, where's yep. your reel, bro. I had something lined up that was supposed to happen in like, september everything fell apart and there's no real still because i'm incredibly busy i work a, a full day job i commentate yep. so much uh when i'm not commentating i'm relaxing or programming and yep yep it's yep. a uh it's a it's a deep my life is busy i'm a young man mm -hmm. so i try to stay mm -hmm. busy because i'm like i'm not old enough to be lazy right uh, so well, I think too, like you have to, like, I've learned that I have to put stuff in a list. So like, cause I, I commissioned my reel on January 2nd, um, and it'll be done end of this month, actually. Um, the but the way, me. go ahead. I'll say it's the way that I ended up doing that was like, seriously, right around my birthday in December, I was like, you know what? I'm going to put like 30 minutes to an hour a week away and just like find clips of myself. So I started doing that. And I know you've already done that work. Doesn't your website have like a list of all these like awesome clip moments already there? It has a list of all the tournaments in the VODs. Ah, okay, I okay. have no time after commentating event to go through and clip stuff because that's fair. I got to do other stuff. Like usually I'm making dinner or doing chores or laundry or like there's so much yep. even outside of working and some side projects that involves my involves me. And it's yep, very, yep. it's very complicated. I got to make calls to my family. Like, I don't yeah, think people yeah, realize yeah. like every part of my day is busy. <laughs> no, for sure. And like, it's different. It's different as well. Right. Cause like you said, you've got to make calls to your family because you are, I mean, I know where your family lives. I'm not going to dox your family, but like your family is not in the same state as you by any means. Right. So for you to keep that relationship up, you know, yeah, with me, I, I'm a little just... luckier where my family lives with me. Right. My wife is here. My parents live 20 minutes away, so. Yeah, and it's not just with the, it's not just with my parents, right? I keep track of my, I still have my grand grandparents that I keep track of, my aunts and uncles that I tried to make sure I, I interact with at least at, at some point, my cousins. Like, I have very few, like, first cousins, but I try to make sure that I, I keep in contact with all of them. They're all way younger than me, so it's a little bit weird that I have to be yeah. an adult, but you yeah, know yeah, yeah. i'm i'm hitting but, that point but i would say if this helps you at all or helps anybody looking to make a reel like what i did was i was like okay i need to start reviewing stuff so i would also as i was commentating think about moments that i thought were like oh man that was a really good moment that could be really good and i would actually kind of like make a note of it and then i would actually go check that stream's clips to see if they somebody clipped it and if they did i would just download the clip and throw it in a folder um I just want so, people to to clip me as I'm commentating and send them all to me, like just that. That's but that's that's what I did though, because people were like, "Yo, clip that," and they clip it, and then I'd go, "Oh, hey, that's really great." Or I would at least have the timestamp to go reclip it myself. 
Um, yeah, I I just but it helped. But it's worth so man. much. Getting the clips <laughs> is the biggest project. There's so much of that I I do and work on in a in a in in one broadcast that I I don't keep track. And also like my keyboard's mad loud, so I don't want to type and be like, oh, at this point, like I need to go check this thing because yeah, you know there there is that kind of. Uh, kind of like I, I don't just want people to hear me typing the entire time and a lot of sure. times because of the, the style that I commentate if my voice isn't there I'll, the commentary is really empty uh, because yep. I talk a yep. lot I say a lot of words and my co-commentator is used to that so if I'm just gone because I'm muted because I'm typing something I don't want to bother the the stream chat it's gone that that's an entire another part of it like if I'm if at any point I'm not looking at what's happening in the game I'm not talking about what's happening in the game and it, it's pretty much all on my co-commentator at that point so I don't want to leave them behind I can't type sure. and talk at the same time that's an entire other thing that's uh, a that's an acquired skill for sure a typing and talking is way beyond just like an acquired skill you have to separate two parts of your brain between like your hands moving and your mouth saying words it's difficult, especially because I like to gesture when I am talking. Yeah, can, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys yeah, yeah. can't see this in the in the video or in the audio version of the podcast, but me and Tom have webcam set up, and I have been gesturing. Even if you don't yep. see the gestures, Tom, I'm gesturing below the camera. Like, I'm down here, and I'm gesturing still. Yep, yep. Uh, I'm very much a, a gesture-oriented person, and I get that from my mom, uh, good old Mama Remy. Yep. And uh, I, I can't. I can't stop it. I, I I have to have the hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so me trying to type is is one thing, but it also means I can't gesture with my hands, which means anytime that I'm typing and talking at the same time, I have to stop and gesture and then go back to typing. Yep. Uh, so bad. it's it's very funny. Bad. It's it's a struggle, uh, and it just hasn't been one that I've been willing to power through. Uh, you get like I got to a point where I'm like I can commentate every single day of the week and do that ad nauseum. Like the only reason I have to stop is because I am tired. There's at no point where I have to be like, Oh, I, I don't get to commentate today because I don't have a gig. I can right. get a local gig. I can do something for, for some tournament series there's, across the United States or Canada and be a part of it. There's almost always a gig, right? If you, if, I mean, obviously paying versus not paying it's a very different discussion but like there's always there's always a tournament right now that needs a voice i think uh and i've i've only been told no man by two tournaments i think and it wasn't like a we would never have you it was like oh we already have people on the mic today like that's the only yeah. time i've ever been told no is when they're like oh we already got it covered yeah, but like there's yeah it. there's so much going on there's so much going on with covid that like there's always if you want to practice commentary there's probably a spot for you I've gotten some some no responses out of some things because I didn't give a yep. reel, and they're like, "All right, you didn't even leave a reel, so we're not even gonna reach back out to you." I'm like, "All right, that's fair." Uh, so you know, it's just it's just one of the things. Every time that I reach out to a, a tournament organizer directly, they're always willing to have me stuff like that. Even if I'm not getting on Wednesday Night Fight top eights, I'm like, I talked to Vi, and he's like, Streaming "Yeah, it. commentate yeah. commentate pools." And I've done pools, I think, three or four times now. It's, it's still yeah. a really fun experience, and it's definitely an area that's lacking for them. And I'm I'm happy to step in and provide something. We should uh we should set up that one time while you and I commentate that together. That'd be really fun. That would be great because it's hard to do it all by yourself. I I did it one time with 
uh, James, where James streamed it, and I yeah. was the co-commentator. And just the act of me being there and being able to just help him find information out of the Discord yep. or out of Smash GG, anything that that's helps with the production of side of things you like you've seen me with joe where i'm like okay i'll invite people to the lobby i'm toing with you mm -hmm. like i'm doing mm -hmm. a whole bunch of stuff mm -hmm. that's me and i want to help um as, yeah. as much as i can to help a production uh to a certain extent that i definitely draw lines at some point where like if your yeah. stream is dying i'll give some advice but like you got to figure out why your stream is dying i i can't yeah. be the on-site tech helping you fix things you can't remote in right it's not it's not as easy but yeah, I mean, at the same time, that that's also something I think that makes a decent online commentator, at least, is if you have the knowledge to make stuff happen and you have a knowledge to keep a thing rolling, right? Like we did that with a little behind the scenes talk for Adrenaline, right? Like I was hosting the lobby for the West Coast because I live on the West Coast. So they were like, hey, like, can you host the West Coast lobby and just move to the back? Yeah, just and again, like, that was just to try to help eliminate any variables that the players would be worried about which is big on exactly you know the production staff to be like hey we're concerned yep. about this and big stuff on you being like yeah i can step up and, and do that stuff i got to the point with commentating where i'm like i i want to be involved in as little processes as possible sure yep. um i would agree with that like and, and a good production i mean like i would say when you get to like a top top level production nog right like that is all you're doing is commentating, and there's a whole there's a whole crew of people in your ear running all the other stuff. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things. It's a weird kind of middle ground where I'm like, I don't want to like at this point because of uh, desyncing issues and and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want to boot up and be in the lobby. Um, if yep, I am, I agree. you know, if I'm am in the lobby, I'll I'll sit there and invite people because I'm paying attention to what matches are being called, everything like that. If it's on Smash GG, I can see what's lined up. If it's on uh, Chalonge, I can look in the Discord and see like who's been called next. Especially when we get to a top eight situation and we're just running through yeah, the it's autopilot list. Uh, which, by the way, nothing annoys me more when the schedule changes. So like running, not running winners finals, loser semis bothers the hell out of me. I'm like, why are you doing? Absolutely, this? yeah, this yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Uh, very aggravating. Like, I don't. Not only does it it mess with the flow, and like I not know what what's coming up next, but like. It's just bad for the players. It's statistically shown worse for the players. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's data behind that, right? I uh, will say I mean, the only time that doesn't bother me is, well, is when, because, like, when you get into, like, winner's finals and loser semis and that stuff, like, that should be a set rhythm. I completely agree. But before that, um, oh, it's when it's, like, place. somebody needs, like, a bathroom break in the top eight or something, it's like, okay, we're going to jump to this match first. Like, that kind of stuff I actually really like when the TO, like, considers the yeah. players in that way. The ability to adapt on the fly is definitely a benefit. So... Being able to be yeah. like, okay, we, uh, you know, this player just disappeared. Uh, we're gonna run this match first and hope they show back up. <laughs> you know, that's, exactly. That's yeah. that's what it is sometimes. Uh, so it's definitely really, it's been really interesting commentating a bunch of online events. And most people don't know that I'm mostly an online commentator. I haven't done too much commentary offline, uh, a couple of times. But most of the time that I commentate offline, I commentate solo. That's another big yep. thing uh, that people don't really realize about me and people always feel bad about it when i'm like no this is great i love solo commentary like i don't think people understand i talk a lot <laughs> like i have a lot of <laughs> thoughts and not having to think and be like okay i'm gonna leave this pause here uh granted a lot of the pauses that i leave now are natural so like i'll pause yep. in situations anyway 
and if somebody else starts talking they can talk and otherwise i have like uh a, a that timeout was, that i reach and i'm like that, okay i'm just gonna keep talking <laughs> that was actually one of my hardest adaptations when i stopped commentating with you as much and learning to work with other online commentators is realizing that their pause was a brain pause and not a natural let the other guy talk pause because you and I had established such a <laughs> rhythm. You know what I mean? Like we were just so comfortable. So somebody would yeah, pause and, and I would start okay. talking and they would just talk over me. And I'm like, wait, that wasn't an og pause. That wasn't just the, Hey, it's your turn, Tom. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> like it was so weird. Yeah. That, that's definitely one of the things where it's really weird if you're not used to it. Uh, yeah. I think it's really respectful and that's why I always do it. I'll leave a pause. And if somebody else starts talking, that's great. Uh, I do have, there are times where like, I'll hit a point where it's just like, there's that pause and it's naturally like, I don't really have anything else to say. And in that half a second, I think of stuff to say, uh, and yeah, then I keep going. Yeah. Uh, but there's also, you know, there's, there's plenty of times where it's, it's definitely an opportunity for somebody to hop in. It, yep. I've also tried to start doing more questions. I'll ask questions of my co-commentator. Yeah, uh, to see how they're feeling, you know, especially when they're newer to the mic, they're a little bit green. You you don't want to just dominate and, and talk over somebody. Mm -hmm. It was actually a little bit of a struggle during Red Bull. Uh, I had some some rough partners that uh, weren't you. And going into that event, I was really expecting to commentate a lot with you. And I looked at yeah, the schedule. I'm like, different. ah, there's. There's no Tom or Remy. That's unfortunate. <laughs> we are going to learn how to deal with this. <laughs> and I was like, okay. But, but the, I think the adaptation of, of each time, and there's definitely times where I'm like, I would give a person a pause, and then they would never return a pause, or like I would give them a pause, and they wouldn't take yep. it. And I'm like, so okay. That's, that's actually something. So I took a commentary lesson from Ultra David, um, which worth the money, in my opinion. Like, for what he did for me, like he basically, I sent him Red Bull Adrenaline clips and he watched them. And then we sat down and watched them together and he just like commentated my commentary. It was really interesting and really insightful. Um, but one of the things on that was talking about how you can establish when you're going to take over or steal a turn that he talked about, which I thought was super smart. So like something I do when I commentate, right, is I'll make kind of like hype noises in the background. Like, whoo, oh, damn, oh, right? Like that type of stuff. Yeah. And he was like, you know, that's good, but if you have a commentator that you have trouble taking turns with, it's actually maybe a better idea to stay quiet. And then, you know, when you need to steal a turn, you can just come in big with something like that and then take over. And I'm like, oh, that's actually... Because it's not really rude with online commentary when you can't see the commentator because there's no social cues. It's yeah. really... It's asserting like, hey, I need to take a turn. I have something to say. And it's really pushing them off. Yeah, it's like putting your hand up almost. Yeah. It, you know, really it's definitely a, a weird thing, especially when you uh, – the the production is using your cameras, but you guys can't see each other. That's always a, a rough part because yeah. you have no idea what's happening or when they're trying to talk or anything like that, which is why I have such a – back off approach to commentary like i will start talking and if you start talking i'm not talking same. anymore which is really thing. funny and we run into this on the west coast with <laughs> meet, meet you and uh, kevin uh yeah. where it's just like okay we all started talking at the same time and we all stopped at the same time yep all three of us say something go whoop. and then we all start talking again at the same time <laughs> 
because we're like, oh, there's a back off period, and we all backed off, and then nobody <laughs> talks, and then we like, we're all like, okay, back we... off period's over, let's all talk again, and it's just like, okay, and then we, and then we all start laughing. <laughs> yeah, then we all laugh, or yeah. people shut up again, and then one person's like. I understand the situation. I'm running with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely one of those things. And by like the second or third time that it happens, I'm like, I'm just gonna keep talking. Like you, you yep, guys absolutely. can figure it out. If you keep talking and I keep talking, then we can figure it out. But like, if we both start saying like two syllables and both stop, something like we're a little off. But me, me and Kevin are literally on the exact same wavelength and how we yep, kind of use yep. that back off period. I feel like a lot of times I have, uh. You know, maybe it's just the style of like the online online local with the long term commentators, but like we really have that back off period down where it's just yeah. like, okay, <laughs> we're not going to talk because we both started at the same time, and it's why I've developed the the habit of saying like, go ahead, like I'll I'll you'll you'll literally hear me say that so many times when people start talking, and there's a back off period, I'm like, go ahead, like if I hear there's silence, I'll say go ahead, like keep talking, yeah, please, yep, yep, totally. Uh, just to kind of establish who's going to talk in those situations. Uh, yeah. Once it gets a little more comfortable, like you, you always know if I, I take that pause, you can always step in. Uh, if you take a pause, I try to step in, which is why the, the same time is always a conundrum because who steps in? Usually I'll just let it be you because if you're stepping in, it's because something hype is happening. I can just analyze it later. That's always my approach. Sure. It's like, I'll stop talking because I'm analysis and I can always just go through and do this later. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, but we've talked a long time about uh, commentary, actually. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, yeah. might be one of our passions that we do <laughs> together. Yeah, we might like that. I don't know. Weird. Strange. <laughs> uh, so it, it's definitely really fun to talk about all of that stuff. I did want to bring it back to programming. We did talk about Python a little bit and coding some Discord bots. The yeah, yeah. fun stuff, you brought up Python a, a little bit and how you're used to object oriented programming and that's the weirdest thing about python when you're not when you're not using it as right. just an extension uh, you can use it as either a scripting language or a object oriented language it does have the support to go through object oriented granted that is in my opinion way more work uh, somebody who has used sure. it mostly as a scripting language, it's way more work um, sure. to, to go through and set up classes and a whole bunch of stuff. The instantiation process I find very tiresome and long and convoluted, but it has its place. And it's very yeah. important if you need multiple objects of something to make sure that there's a class for it so that you can get multiple objects for it. Most of what yep, I write, yep, there, yep. there's just one object. And I'm like, I don't need to write a whole class for this and have a whole instantiation process because... Right, I don't need multiple I, instances of something. I need, yeah, I need one of this. There's no reason for this. Like, the, yep. the yep. entire reason of having instantiation process is to make it easy to make more of them. Like, if you're going to yep. have a whole thing where you're having a whole bunch of... Uh, let's say you're making, like, a grocery list app and you need to have a whole bunch of items that you can add to a cart. So you have a cart object that can accept item objects and there's a whole bunch of item yep. objects and that that makes sense and you have different types for the for the items yep. and a whole bunch of stuff like that the prices is, is different for each item everything like that is terrific yeah uh, but when all i need to do is make a discord bot and there's one instance of it uh you know there's there's not too much there's, i'm sure there's some things i yep. can instantiate in that to make it run more efficiently matter of fact the original version as i talked about earlier with the yaksha was it was all object oriented in their approach to it. So every time that you're calling a specific style of command, 
it's in a class and all of the the other commands that yeah. relate to it are in there uh i didn't draw that distinction but definitely with how lizardbot works with challenge and some of the edit commands they get long and kind of convoluted and could definitely mm-hmm. use a class to kind of break things out a little bit more but i can't convert them into classes because i would have to convert everything into classes and that's yep. a lot of work for so little yep. return and i'm like yep because uh, that's well, just how just how python's going to map the command to the function instead of mapping yeah. the command to the function it maps the command to the class of the function and everything yep. would have to have a class and i it's too much work. it's works it's work smart not hard right like and that's the thing like for for a game dev like absolutely object-oriented programming is what you need to do specifically because you're thinking about objects and components and you're managing multiple instances of stuff I mean, like every time you fire a bullet, you're instantiating an object, right? And that bullet has its own instance with its own stuff and its own velocity and its own everything, its own colliders. Same with players, right? Multiplayer games or enemies, yeah. they're all their own instances. And so that makes it really nice because, you know, if I write an enemy class, I can then go in and define the enemy health per enemy. And it's all the same class. Those variables are just changing between the instances, right? So, yeah. I definitely think use what's appropriate. And that's really why I struggled with R. And I still want to do more Python stuff. I just, you know, right now I'm heads down on getting my certification re-upped. And then after that, it's like, okay, do I want to learn a new programming language? Do I? And like to me, Python would be the one I'd want to dive into, uh, mainly just for its power and processing data and processing, like text processing, CSV processing, all that type of stuff. Python's really good at that stuff. It, it does really good with that. It does well with pulling in database stuff and processing in that. Yeah. But a database is basically just a CSV or an Excel spreadsheet or vice versa. A spell spreadsheet is just a database. It's all relational. So you have a table and a column and you want to pull it from it. It's it's the same yeah. thing. So it, it's definitely one of, the, one of the things. It took me like 21 years of my life to figure out that relation between an Excel spreadsheet, a spell Excel sheet and a uh, database. And right. it was astounding when I made that correlation and be like, yep. especially when I try to work more with something like Google sheets, I'm like, this is just a database, but I can't pull data from it like a database. Right. Frustrating. <laughs> you have to just pull it by like column references and stuff. Yeah, and that, that's more of an yeah. issue with uh, Google Sheets than Excel. Excel will actually let you do uh, SQL queries. At, yep. uh, Google you can do you can do data queries in Sheets. Sheets does they have their own Google Data language, um, and it's it's Excel. It's, it, it's SQL. It's SQL. It's just yeah. you have to do equals query, and then you write some stuff. But I I do that at work quite a bit. It's uh, yeah, oh. it's one of the things where I I could probably make things more efficient. Especially with uh, those of you who don't know, the lizard bot does actually pull in from a Google sheet if necessary for each. For seating, uh, each, right? Yeah, for each uh, each seating that we do, if there's a seating sheet set, we can do it. Yep. I worked on that. That was a pain in the butt. First time working with sheets. Uh, first time really working with sheets and dynamically getting data from it. First time using the API to get data from it. Yeah. It was a process, and I'm sure I could fix some of that stuff to look better. That sheet function is, I think, almost a thousand lines. That, and I, I broke it out yeah. into a couple of other things, but a lot of it is just data queries. So, like, the, the, the dictionary, the Python dictionary that has to get set up to query what information I need to put into Google Sheets is hundreds of lines long sometimes. Yeah. Um, because it's for each sheet and oh, it's just so much work <laughs> it's a lot it's a um, lot of work i'm like 
that was yeah. probably the longest dev time I spent on the lizard bot was going through sheets. It was such a pain in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> but other and than that, I've, we, I, go ahead. Oh, I've heard there's a library in Python that does Google Sheet stuff. It's called like PySheets or PyGoogle. Um, I know Google. So Google has their own stuff that they tell you to set up. But is there a different library for it? Have I been? I could have made this easier on myself. I still have. To I write, think so. I still have to write all of the all of the parameters to send though. That would that would still yeah. be the big thing. Let me. I'd have to go check my Slack history at work because I was working on some Google Sheet stuff, and one of our data guys was telling me that I should have. There's a certain Pi library I could use to to pull data from Sheets. Um, yeah, but I it, don't remember what it was. It's definitely one of those things. But like the the longest and most difficult part was ordering and ordering and setting up yeah. the the queries in the proper way or the the parameters for the queries in the proper way um because they get they get very long and yeah. complicated and convoluted but there's a lot of simple ideals i can kind of give you for like beginner applications to run through python with so if you want to Get more of that stuff. I've done stuff with classes. So if you want like a good class example, I can show some of that stuff. Well, I won't say good. If you want a class example with something in it, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I I have a lot of GitHub repos. If you just go to what github.com forward slash nogarim, you'll find a lot of my stuff. Cool. Yeah, I'll go poke around at it because like when I get some time to look at Python more, because that's something I've always wanted to dive into. And like honestly, like the company I work for also provides a large library of online learning content for python so i should probably watch some of those courses as well um yeah but sometimes just and in, in my opinion and in, in it's just the way that i've always done programming i just do stuff i'm like i'm gonna do this thing yeah i'm gonna it's gonna be frustrating i'm gonna butt my head a lot of times because i don't know exactly what i'm doing but i know what i want to do and so i'll keep poking around until i figure out what ways i can do it and yep. which ways are supported, which ways are going to be overly long and complicated and how to work around that. It's an entire process, but uh, I'm a very iterative person when I program. And so I'm going to try Same. a lot of things, see what works, print a lot of stuff to command line, figure out, you know, if the data that I'm pulling, this is why every time, every time I use an, an API, I'll just do a, a, uh, every request, I get requests to the endpoint and been like, what data are you giving me and how can I parse through it in a reasonable yep. manner? In a reasonable manner. Um, I don't really actually use too many libraries to actually pull API stuff from. I don't use the Chalonge API to pull any of the Chalonge stuff for, for Lizard. Interesting. Bot. We all just use uh, curl. I have mm. used the Chalonge API since I did some stuff for Sniffles to help make things better when he's pulling stuff to do points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have used it, but it, it's, it feels really weird compared to just doing a get request and just rolling with it from there. It's a little bit yeah. of uh, a learning curve. You have to figure like when I first was doing API stuff, I had to learn how to actually send parameters or headers depending because sometimes different APIs do different things. Sometimes your API key has to be in your header. Sometimes it has to be in your parameter. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a different, and it gets weird, uh, it, but it's fun, though. It, it's definitely fun. I definitely love iterating over things. Uh, I definitely go through and do a lot more coding than I probably should. Uh, for Because I manage everything for RITFGC. I manage everything for RSF at this point. 
I have my own APIs that I write and maintain and interact with. Every everything that I go through gets a, a little a little crazy. Uh, but I also have some basic things like calculating how many push-ups to do on a certain day, given how many days it's been from the start of the year. Hmm. Or if hmm. it's a leap year for that matter as well. Uh, I actually had to, uh, my dad actually uses that, that little program and he hit me up and been like, uh, I don't think this calculates leap years properly. I'm like, you're probably right. <laughs> well, I wasn't thinking about those dad. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dad of me was like, yeah, cool. But it's a leap year this year. And I, uh, I need to, I need to have this. My dad did like over, almost over a hundred thousand pushups this year. Nice. Uh, so that's a little bit insane when you think about it. Uh, but this has been going on for a little bit. We've been rambling on for a little bit. You got anything else that you want to promote or say here? No, not really. Thanks for hanging out, man. So I was just catching up with you. Um, my, uh, my commentary reel's coming soon. Keep an eye out probably end of the month. And if you want to come hang out with me and write code or play whatever video game I'm feeling like, uh, twitch.tv slash Thomas Winkley, go to your locals, play online tournaments, be kind to each other donate money to causes that need it yeah absolutely and uh just to, to talk about you know enter a whole bunch of online tournaments don't forget that you're running an online series twitch.tv yes. forward slash get good fgc if you're looking for their stream uh where else can people find information to get involved in that series yeah so uh, twitter.com slash get good fgc um we're doing so it's west coast um the rules are posted you have to be within 600 miles by fiber or 50 millisecond ping if you're close to that hit me up we'll talk um, but it's basically a three-month, similar to Salt Mine League, uh, top eight of each tournament get points, and then the top eight will be invited to a season finale where we'll run like a big, fancy top eight with big, loud, hopefully big, loud commentators and fun production. Um, and right now, first place on top of the Macharino is going to get a pair of Astro A50s. Um, second place will probably get a different headset, uh, and then third place will get something as well. So we've got prizes lined up. Um, so yeah, we've got, we do two tournaments a month. Bar fights is actually this Thursday. So the day after this releases, um, and then ringside rumbles the first Saturday of every month. So six tournaments and then a big old top eight to close out the season. And we'll start the next season after. Sounds like a ton of fun. That's going to be it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen and everybody in between. Hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Peace. Bye.